Blog Talk Radio. I want to ask you a question, and that is, what is in your life's blueprint? This is the most important and crucial period of your lives for what you do now and what you decide now at this age may well determine which way your life shall go, 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 go. Over 24 million people that are going to lose health insurance. You can't continue to play with people's emotions like this, okay? Politics may be a game to you because you're in Washington, but it's not a game to us. But it's not a game to us. But it's not a game to us. Again, I refer back to a civilized society where no one, not even the President of the United States, is above the law. However, Trump has a blatant disregard for the law, and he only likes it when he stands to benefit from it. How selfish, 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 selfish. You know, listen to the provocation. You know, listen to the provocation. Real people, real conversation. Real people, real conversation. You ready? Let's go. Yes, sir. <laughs> we back at it again. Yes, we are. We're back. Fresh off vacation. I'm feeling like a new man out here right now, man. I know you are. I know you are. I needed that. Uh, I needed that time. But I'm gonna tell you what. You know how I hate working on Mondays, right? Right. The only thing worse than working on a Monday is working on a Monday after vacation. I'm telling you. Today was tough. That is true. That is true. It was tough, man. But, yeah. um, you know, it is what it is. You got to do what you got to do to pay the bills, you know? Yeah. And that, that job is the reason I was able to take a vacation. So I, I can't do too much complaining. There you go. You know? But in case you didn't know, you guys are listening to the provocation, real people, real conversations. My name is Ron. I'm one half of the dynamic duo. And as always, I got my boy with me. I'm Ron. Welcome the Father and Son Tag Team. Podcasts are clearly the views of my son and myself, and not of any organization that either of us may be. Being said, we welcome you to episode 91 and season three of The Provocation. Yes, indeed. And like we always say about this time, if you're listening live, we appreciate the love. If you're listening to the archive, we appreciate that too. Uh, Today's going to be a special day, man. <clears throat> I think. Um, oh, go ahead. I think people are going to like this one. Later on in the show, we're going to be hopefully talking to uh, presidential candidate hopeful Alan Howe out of uh, Pennsylvania. So I'm curious to see, you know, what he has on his plate and kind of the, what the plans he has for the country if he were to become president, you know? Mm-hmm. So it should be an interesting. Co- hey man, we might have a little bit of a delay. I don't know. I don't know if you can sense it. 
Yeah, I, I did detect something there. You slightly, yeah. That's all good, you know. Can't be perfect. Uh huh. But right. Yeah. So today should be an interesting show. We're gonna talk to uh, Alan Howe, uh, presidential candidate, later on in the show. You know, for you guys tuning in, you know, feel free to call in with any questions you may have. Remember, you can hit us up on Twitter at the underscore provocation. That's with an eight and not an A. Or you can give us a call at 516-418-5467. But in the meantime, between time, not so really much going on. Like I said, just came back from vacation. Hey, man, you know, I went to Las Vegas. Okay, that sounds good. I don't know if you've ever been, but if you haven't, I suggest you take the trip at least one time. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, um, how much money did you win? You no, know, I'm, I'm be honest, man. I didn't, I didn't gamble a lot, but I ended up winning maybe like a hundred okay. and some dollars. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. So a little bit, a little bit of change, a little, little bit of uh, Uber mm-hmm. money. That's all it was. Okay, okay. You know? But um, it's so much to do out there, man. Like, and they, you can tell they're a city um that's looking towards the future. You know, they uh, mm-hmm. we took the little. It's a, they got a big bus that goes around the whole city and kind of gives you the history and explains, like, some of the background behind some of the buildings that were built and all this other things going on. And um, I think most of their power comes from solar energy, so that's, you know, something positive moving forward into the future. Okay. Um, you know, you know they've, well, it's obvious that they've uh, they legalized marijuana a couple of years back. And it's been a booming business for them uh, ever since. They act, they're actually going to de- dedicate $14 billion of the money that they brought in towards helping the homeless problem out there. So, you know, it's wow, they, that means the they right brought direction. in quite a chunk. Yeah, if you could, if you could dedicate $14 billion just for that, you brought in a lot of money. Yes, you did. A lot of money. But um, mm-hmm. it's a very, very nice, nice place, you know, uh, the hotels, the hotels, casinos, they're beautiful. The Caesars Palace is huge. Um, you know, you see it on TV and you, know, you hear about all the places where the fights take place, like the MGM Grand and all that stuff like that. But to actually be inside was an experience, you know? Wow. Yeah, it was cool. You got shows going on every day. Um, me and my wife, we were able to take a little excursion and, we rolled the little ATVs through the, through the uh, Mojave Desert, which was crazy. Because I've, uh-huh. I've never personally been in the desert. I've never been in the desert before. And it's truly okay. a desert. Like, like, you see those movies where people <laughs> be, you know, sitting there, they mouth dry, walking through the desert, look like they're about to die. Uh-huh. I, can definitely, I can definitely see how that can be the case because it was extremely hot out there and it is nothing out there at all. It's just dry. You know? Okay. I'm going to tell you what was funny. One time as we're going through the hills and stuff, there, there was like a little, uh, a little grave plot with a, with a uh, cross on it. I'm like, should we be riding by here? Because obviously that person <laughs> didn't make it. <laughs> oh, uh, or you said there was a, a, a grave plot, right? Yeah, with a big old cross on it. Now, was that like part of the thing to say you were in the desert to say, 
letting you know that you are definitely in the desert. Well, the guy didn't say anything about it. So I'm assuming that maybe he didn't want us to see it. I don't know. But he didn't mention oh, it at all. Okay. So I'm thinking right. that's probably some somebody was really laying there. I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. But it was it was crazy, man. I had a really good time. Um, it's just nothing you can't do in Vegas. Like everything is there. Everything. Casino so like how many people? Hours. Yeah, how many people were on the uh, the the uh, on these ATVs? Uh, I was in a group of I think it was six of us. Okay, it was like six or seven of us, and then we had our our tour guide who was driving like um like a doom buggy, you know what I mean? Okay. But um, it was cool though, man. He was, but I mean, I'm gonna tell you what, you got to be on your A game because he was saying like it's certain parts where if it looks like beach sand, he said you need to speed up because if you don't speed up mm-hmm. today, if you get stuck and you keep trying to get out, it's gonna it's gonna let the the uh, ATV just sink down further and further and further. So oh, okay. It's no yeah the more yeah. It's no joke. Yeah, it's, it's no joke being out there. It was extremely fun, but it's nowhere where I want to be like stranded or something like that because it's really nothing out there, man. Like honestly, Vegas is in the middle of nowhere. If you look like you look around like on the outside, you see like a couple mountains, and then you just see dirt. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. This is dirt mm. on the outside, on the outskirts. But I had an amazing time, man. Like I would suggest, if anybody you know hasn't been to Vegas, definitely put that on the bucket list. You gotta go. You know, what I mean, don't even worry about the gambling. It's so much other stuff to do. You're not even gonna be worried about gambling, man. The food is amazing. Mm. Um, you could do all these different type of excursions. The only thing that Vegas is missing, if they had some type of water activities, maybe like a man-made lake or something out there. Mm-hmm. There would be it would be the ultimate vacation spot because then there would be nothing missing, you know what I mean? Right. But, you know, it's in the middle of the desert, so you can't expect all you can't expect to have everything, you know? Right, right. But um, it was a it was an amazing trip. Like I said, I, I definitely want to go back. My wife was even talking about maybe moving out there. I was I don't know about that one, but you know, <laughs> maybe when we get maybe when we retire or something, that's cool. But it's it's definitely on the up and up. Then you know they're they're also they're building a stadium out there because the Raiders are moving. They're, it's going to be the Las oh, Vegas Raiders. Okay. Oh you wow! Know? And the stadium's right next to the strip, so it's about to be going. It's about to be crazy out there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. So yeah, besides that, not much going on, man. Like I said, first day back to work after vacation is the worst. So I was able to make it through the day. But what you got going on on your side, man? Oh man, we're doing we're doing okay. We enjoying the company of your daughters here with us while you were there in yeah. Vegas on your uh, anniversary and everything. So they've been having a, your grandmother's been oh your 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 mother has been keeping them pretty busy with uh, things to do and stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, there's plans to go down uh, to Jersey uh, later on this week. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. I know they look forward to that time every year, so I'm glad they're having a good time up there. You know, plus it give us a little bit of a chance to yeah. breathe too. You know. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. But um, yeah, man. Like I said, not much going on. Uh, so I'm definitely waiting for football to come back now since basketball is over with. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been watching. 
Have you been watching any um, these soccer games going on? I really have not, to be honest. No, I haven't. Well, you got you got the Women's World Cup going on right now, and then you have the Men's Gold Cup going on at the same time. And I don't know if it's because my daughters play the game, but for some reason I've gotten really into it. And and we, it's been mm-hmm. some amazing games that have taken place so far. Like the United States, I'm going to tell you straight up, man. I told you this last night. The United States women is probably one of the best soccer teams I've ever seen. Seriously. Mm-hmm. They are they are so good. Now, today was a close one. They they had a pretty tough matchup against Spain, but they ended up winning. But um, they were tied mm-hmm. 1-1 for a while. But um, they're, they're very, very good. The United States men, they're pretty decent, too. They're in the Gold Cup right now. They just won their last game, I think, like 6 to nothing. I think. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like that, 5 or 6 to nothing. So it's been pretty mm-hmm. awesome watching this stuff, man, you know. But just anything to hold me over until the football season starts. Right. That's how I look at it. You know? Okay. Oh, man. So I think I think this might be Mr. Hal calling in right now. All right. Give me one second. Hold it down for a second, Paul. Give me one second. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, as uh, I was saying early on that uh, our granddaughters are up here visiting us. And we plan to go down to Jersey uh, so that they can meet their great-grandparents and their aunts and spend a little bit of time, spend our, uh, most of the day with them. Uh, so they're looking forward to that. So I think it should be a good, uh, a good, a good uh, day out uh, to break the monotony of, you know, being in the house a lot of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. But uh, this way we'll get on the road, travel a little bit. You know, it's about like two hours, and uh, we'll be there. So that that's a good thing. And I'm quite sure their great-grandparents will be happy to see them, as well as uh, my wife's uh, sisters will be happy to see them as well. So I think it will be a very exciting uh, Thursday, uh, this coming Thursday. Hey, Pop. Yeah, yes. Okay, so yeah, you know, without further ado, I told you guys that we would um, have uh, Mr. Allen Howe calling in later so we can have a discussion about his presidential candidacy, uh, so we'll see what, he, what his plans are for the United States if he was to become president. Uh, so without further ado, let's give a round of applause to presidential candidate, Mr. Allen Howe. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Alan, this is uh, Ron Felton. Hey, how are you doing? How you been? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Still looking forward to coming up to see you. Oh, okay. Well, we we'll see what we can do to try to arrange that. And uh, uh, yeah, so we we'll we'll work on trying to make that happen. And uh, but I was uh, in preparation uh, for your uh, uh, interview tonight or appearing on our podcast. Uh, we did do a little research into your political activism and seeing that you had run for congressman of the 10th Congressional District in Pennsylvania. Uh, Trump had won that district by at least 10 percentage points. Uh, 
Well, basically, before we get into all that, just give us a little bit about yourself. Give us some of, some of your bio. Okay. All right. I'd be happy to. Um, I was uh, raised in a working-class family in Afton, New York. It's a little bit north of the Wilkes-Barre area, about uh, 25 miles east-northeast of Binghamton. Okay. And uh, I, I live today in a working-class street in uh, downtown Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is a, a about two and a half hours south of where you're at right now. Um, in between that, I've done a number of okay. things. Uh, that includes some education work. It includes a lot of volunteering. And before that, it included 24 years as an enlisted member of the United States Air Force from 1981 to 2005. And that included uh, two decades overseas, two decades as a non-commissioned officer. And I'm sure that that uh, two decades as an NCO is probably the most formative experience that I've had in my life, and I'd like to think it was formative for a lot of people who worked with me and for me as well. Um, I started running actually in Pennsylvania's 11th congressional district. Um, okay. That was uh, about just about two and a half years ago now, January, late January of 2017. The incumbent was Lou Barletta. I'm sure you remember Mr. Barletta very well. Um, right. Barletta, yep. Barletta is a racist. And Donald Trump has just been elected, and Donald Trump is a racist. And I knew that the racist combo of Barletta and Trump was going to pose a threat to my friends and neighbors in the 11th Congressional District. So we threw our hat in the ring. We ran for a little bit over a year, and then we elbowed Barletta out of that race. And then uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court redistricted. We lost 95% of our district and about 98% of the work we had put in. And that put us in wow. the corner of the 10th Congressional District with less than three months to go. So we, uh, we did our best. But when we were done with that, we had a few hundred dollars left. I still had time and energy and a commitment to fighting for these issues. I still wanted to see Donald Trump impeached and removed from office. So given that the former 11th Congressional District, where I was well-known, was now broken up into five congressional districts with five good Democrats running, we decided that the best way to move forward would be start a presidential campaign. And so we're focusing this presidential campaign, uh, based on my military experience as well, to, uh, to confront and defeat four threats to our country. And this is a prioritized list for us. And in order, they are a treasonous U.S. president, climate change, rising personal and institutional racism, and dangerously high levels of income inequality. And I've been traveling around the country talking to people about that for about a year now. Cool. Sounds good. I definitely, okay. I'll say for me, I like, I like yeah. the issues that you're, that you're looking to address. I think those are some of the most important issues that we have going on in this country right now. Um, so, as we've seen in the last election in 2016, this is a Running for president can be a pretty dirty business. So yes, again. What, what, is it, what is it that, that sparked you to want to take that step? Why did you want to throw your, your name into the ring? Well, you know, I've, I've always been driven by a couple things, and one of them is public service. Uh, I was about 10 years into my Air Force career when uh, uh, Merrill McPeak became chief of staff of the Air Force, and he pushed – uh, new core values across the service. And the core values are integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do. And of course, those are, are great qualities to bring into a government. But 
beneath that, and even in the 10th Congressional District, which was a, a race that we really had very little chance of winning, we thought, going in, um, I reached back to my retirement from the Air Force to, to get motivation and keep me going. When I, when I retired from the Air Force, I told the airmen that I was leaving behind that I was going to work towards increasing the number of educated, informed voters as a way to justify the sacrifices that I knew they were making and that I knew they would continue to make. This was late November of 2004. George W. Bush had just been reelected. Uh, two-thirds of eligible voters had voted, but one-third had not. But more importantly, in October of 2004, right before the election, a Harris poll found that 54% of likely voters believed that Saddam Hussein was involved in the 9-11 attacks. There was no reason for them to believe that. It absolutely was not true. In fact, a year earlier, George Bush had had to publicly say twice in consecutive months that he was aware of no evidence connecting Saddam Hussein to the 9-11 attacks. And our democracy mm-hmm. is weak when we've got people showing up in polls, voting on misperceptions and, and falsehoods. And, of course, with Donald Trump in the White House, that's all we get is, is you know, alternative facts and lies. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So, uh, so like, uh, beyond the 20-plus people, matter of fact, I was just looking at the people that are running in 2020 for uh, the uh, Republican nomination and the, and the Democratic nomination, and there's, like, there's like pages and pages of people running. Uh, what makes you think you stand a snowball's chance in hell? Of securing the nomination. <laughs> well, that's it. yeah. I think you pretty much summed it up. Um, let, I, I will say that when we uh, finally registered with the FEC, which was October of last year, uh, only Maryland Congressman John Delaney was a, of the current A-list candidates you hear on or see on television. He's the only one who was registered at that point in time. So all the others have, have come in after. I did. So we have to ask them as well, what makes them think they can beat me, given that I was in the race before they were? Wink, wink. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, there's always a chance that, that we're going to, to break out and, and be on television, and, and that makes a huge difference. It will help us collect support from around the country. Um, but I've driven um, almost 15,000 miles now around the country talking to voters. I just got back from a trip. Uh, with three nights down in North Carolina and South Carolina talking to voters down there. Um, when people listen to me, they're convinced. And that's really the, the process for us is to keep getting in front of these folks, keep talking to them, keep getting their support. And, you know, we didn't make the de- debate stage in June. We're probably not going to make the debate stage in July. But the number of Democrats in that uh, A-list uh, group is going to, to shrink. Uh, since we're an all-volunteer grassroots campaign, we can last and last. We don't need a lot of money like some of these folks do. They're going to have to drop out when the money uh, starts uh, trickling down from them. Like, uh, for example, if they did not make the debate stage or that they do poorly on the debate stage. So we're, we're holding out hopes that in September, October, November this year, we'll have our opportunity to get on the public stage and compete with those folks. I've been a lifelong student of governance and democracy and these issues. And if you go to my website, I think it's reflected not just in my reading list, but also in the policy proposals that I've put up there as well. Um, And then finally, I think the thing that really distinguishes me most from the other candidates 
is my position on Donald Trump. For two years, I've been telling audiences that Donald Trump is a continuing threat to U.S. national security and to American democracy. I see him as a threat to the country, and I've done that, uh, felt that way since the time he got into office. The other candidates are content to see him as a political opponent. He's not a political opponent. He's a danger to the country. We have to get him out of office to, to defend our democracy. Um, I agree with that. I guess my question would be, why do you think, why do you think the Democrats are so hesitant to just move forward uh, with an impeachment? Boy, Ron, if I had the answer to that, we could, we could fix it <laughs> and we'd move forward. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the count today is 80 Democrats in the House are in favor. The, the number was high okay. for a period of time, and then the DCCC was telling candidates like me uh, in the run-up to the 2018 election, don't talk about Trump, or at least don't make it the only thing you talk about, which people interpreted as don't talk about Trump. And that really just kind of swept the impeachment issue off the table. So I was, I was kind of the lone entity out there. In fact, the York Daily Record, in April of last year, ran a story comparing me to the other candidates in the 10th Congressional District, noting that I was the only one calling for impeachment. So we've got to just keep going and going and going. I was in Silver Spring, Maryland, on uh, Sunday of last weekend, and Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, the day before that, giving talks about Trump and treason and impeachment and trying to convince people that if we wait, we risk losing our democracy. Yeah, I, I've never seen one individual have such an impact on the democratic uh, institutions uh, that we have and that we've, even though we may disagree with some of the, uh, the, the way the laws are administered, uh, we still respect those institutions because we rely on those institutions because they've been held up to us as this great symbol of law and order, American democracy. And to see one individual in, in less than three years uh, come in and have the impact of dismantling all of these institutions that uh, that we we thought highly of and, and still do, and even though there were a time when you had like uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who who used the FBI as his own uh, 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 information gathering against anybody that uh, he was opposing or something to that effect. So I think they even they removed his name from that building. Is that not correct? I think that might be correct, and you're right. Of course, he used the FBI as a weapon against people like Dr. King, for example, because yep. he uh, disagreed with his policies. You're 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 absolutely right. You, you know, part of my speech, I I talk about, and you can find this on YouTube actually. If you go to YouTube and search Alan Howe impeachment, it'll it'll pop right up. But uh, I argue that waiting is dangerous. That waiting puts us in more and more peril. And an example of that is it wasn't so long ago that Donald Trump fired Jeff Sessions, and, and good riddance, Jeff Sessions is, is a racist as well, and he was at least not doing his job, even if he wasn't helping Trump. But he fired Sessions, and he hired Barr, and Barr has turned the Justice Department into 
Donald Trump's tool instead of the tool of our government. So that's a exactly. Tool to all exactly. Of us. Yeah. 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 I think and I'm not. My, my thing is I'm not thrilled. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm not thrilled to see that he's got acting secretaries in Homeland Security and Defense because those are yeah. those are positions that should be under this the approval and supervision of the Senate. That's not where we're at right now. Right. Yeah, I, I believe people should think I believe people should take the threat more seriously of Donald Trump remaining president. But I can't fault them for having um you know, being more concerned about other issues uh that are going on around the country. Like for instance, I know a big issue to me and my father um is the current education system. And mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you, are you are you satisfied with the state of the current education system now? No, not not even a tiny bit. <laughs> okay. Not, yeah. not a tiny bit. Um there's a an education section in in my website. You can learn a little bit more about that. But you know, I, I graduated from high school in nineteen eighty and you could have argued then uh that there was a credible path for a high school graduate like me to make my way into the middle class. Mm-hmm. That 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 path doesn't exist any longer. There's a gap between graduating from high school and, and reaching that path that will take you to the middle class. And for, for working class folk like me, that, it's important that that path exists. So we, we've got to close that gap. So that means more public funding for more education. Now, I, I tell people, I, I don't know that that means four years of free university, but it means more than what we're doing right now. So if whatever it takes to close that gap, we need to do that. And of course, we can't have education, uh, and I talk about this in my uh, income inequality arguments, education and healthcare both used to be aids to moving up the economic ladder. Now they're barriers to moving up the economic ladder. If you go to college and you get a degree and you walk out of there with ten or twenty or $80,000 in student debt, you're not going anywhere until that debt nope. is paid. That, that never gets away from you. So what I'm calling for is interest-free government <clears throat> loans for all adults to go pursue education opportunities. So that will apply for 18-year-olds to 60 or 65. If you've lost your job because of automation, just grab this loan and you go to school. If you uh, if you missed, you got out of high school and waited a couple of years before you uh, went to college, this, this loan is available to you, interest-free. And for those who are saddled with these high-interest private loans, I want to give them an opportunity to convert those just the principal to these government loans so they're no longer paying these exorbitant interest rates. Uh, for the federal government, this is a huge investment because they get that money back in, in taxes that come from higher wages and higher salaries from the college graduates. I was a college student from 2009 to 2012. I, I know I look a lot older than that, but that was uh, – I went to George Mason University. It's a very international uh, – organization, very uh, international university, governments from all around the world are sending young students to George Mason at government expense, paying for their education, their books, paying for their food and their lodging, et cetera, knowing that they're investing in those students who are going to come back to their country and do good things for them. Now, if other countries are smart enough to invest in attendance in U.S. universities, we ought to be smart enough to make the same investment. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, there's a saying that a rising tide lifts all boats. Do you believe that? 
<laughs> you know, Ronald, it's true, but you've got to have a boat. That's the that's the rub right there. It's kind of like telling people to lift themselves up by their bootstraps if they and they don't have right. any boots. It doesn't quite work that way. Uh, now, you know, in a, in a perfect society, sure, but we've got 400 years of experience here in this country, and the idea that our rising tide has lifted all boats is utter nonsense. As, as you know, we've got systemic racism and systemic misogyny that, that holds people back perpetually, continuously, and, and still not only hold, still holds them back today, but as you know, number three on my list says, we have rising personal and institutional racism today. The situation is not getting better. It's getting worse in many respects. Right. Yeah. Now, so, speaking I mean, of racism. Are there – go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off, Pop. But speaking of racism, now, I've, I've heard um, a lot of Democrats come out, and they mention uh, reparations, okay? Mm-hmm. So – I guess my question would be, do you think America needs to apologize for the slavery and injustice against African-Americans? And if so, how do they do it? Well, the answer to the first part of that question is, is yes, of course. And it's, it's not a one-time thing, right? You don't just apologize once. Say in 1956 or in, in 19, better maybe 1964 and 65 with the – uh, Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act that we apologize and, and we don't need to do that. This is an apology that needs to be continued to offer, to be offered because we continue to suffer the effects of this. Communities continue to suffer the effects of this. Uh, I've, I've talked um, on my campaign Facebook page uh, rather extensively about um, on Juneteenth, in fact. So if you're going, want to go back and find that, go back to, to June 19th and, and you'll find the post. I talk about reparations, and I talk about affirmative action there. And I use an example that I've used in, in other instances in the past. Let's suppose, Ronald, I, I won't make you run. I'll, I'll have your son, Ron, run with me. Let's suppose, Ron, that you and I have a race. It's going to be 100 yards, okay, just a sprint. Mm-hmm. The gun goes off. I start running, and I'm tearing off down the track, but you aren't because my friends are holding you by your arms. And I'm at 20 yards, and I'm at 40 yards, and 60 yards, and 70 yards, mm. and finally you break free, and now you can run too. Does that make it a fair race at that point? Because both of us can run. <laughs> <laughs> right. Obviously not, right? Right. That's right. obviously right. not a fair race. So, so we've got two options here, right? We can have somebody hold my arms until you catch up, or we can move you ahead to where I am, and we can run the rest <clears> of the race together, side by side. It's actually mm-hmm. fair. Now, thinking in just purely economic terms, holding me back holds the economy back. Moving you forward moves the economy forward. So things like reparations and affirmative action are 100% necessary, not just to create a fair society, although that's the most important part of it, but also because it's economically advantageous for the country as well. And what I can't tell you, what I won't tell you, is is what I think reparations should look like. We're, we're having mm-hmm. a discussion in the House of Representatives right now about starting a national conversation about reparations. And before that conversation is over, I'll probably have some ideas on what that should look like. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to exercise a ridiculous amount of white privilege and say, hey, this white guy knows what reparations should be for people. 
keep this mm-hmm. stuff that's held back for 400 years. That's not my rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, then, uh, so, like, uh, like, do you believe, and I think you, I think, I think that's what I'm hearing from you. It sounds like when I mentioned to you about this rising uh, tide lifts all boats, that there are specific areas that may need more attention. Uh, When we talk about like black unemployment, even though it's lowest than it's been in so many years, but uh, there's still a lot of unemployment out there and not, and, and, and uh, the minimum wage, that's another issue. And it appears that, and and I guess where I'm coming from is that the way I see it, if, if Obama had tried to implement, then he would have been, he would have been hammered. If he focused on uh, poor areas, which largely consists of minority areas, you know, where we're not the only poor, but we disproportionately poor. And there would have been a whole bunch of backlash about that because the fact that Mitch, Mitch McConnell can say that uh, he wanted to make sure that Obama was a one-term president, and obviously he failed on that. But he's done a great job since then, though, because he's gotten a lot of the judges and stuff that he wanted, these extremely conservative judges. So how do you how do you combat someone like that? And how do you combat this whole this this, this racism thing? Like I don't. I don't see it being over in my lifetime, and I don't think it's going to be over in my son's lifetime. Uh, but where, where, where do you see that going yeah. heading? Yeah. Well, you, you know, there are always going to be people in this country, of course, who harbor prejudice and who will try to act on that prejudice when they get the opportunity. And, you know, the more power a prejudiced person has, then the more they can discriminate and the more harm they can do. And so uh, one of the things we have to do is look very carefully at leaders of organizations and people in positions of power, like police officers, for example, and make sure that mm-hmm. they, if they have a prejudice, and that they're off the force, that they're they're removed from that position of power, so they can't abuse their their authority. The uh, I, since January of this year, because I've, I've been I've been studying this issue for the for the, the longest time. I, you know, as a as a fan of democracy. Uh, the, the civil rights movement, to me, is one of the greatest expressions of democratic power, small-d democratic power that I've seen in, or could ever hope to see in, in this country. And, um, but even so, there's a lot more that needs to be done. But I took from that, from that lesson and from that history that it's not on minority groups to fix racism and discrimination. It's not on women to fix misogyny. Yeah, the uh, I'm going to make a lot of close friends after this, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying that sarcastically here. But you know, the, the big problem in in these areas are white men like me. We're the problem, and so you know, minority groups, groups who are oppressed, groups that are discriminated, they need to continue to share their stories about about the the uh, oppression and, and discrimination that they're suffering, and about their accomplishments and about their achievements. But it's white men who need to police white men and fix that group. 
you know, I, I was, in, again, an NCO in the Air Force for two decades. Our goal was to make the Air Force a professional force by, by enforcing discipline, creating self-discipline among the members, and getting rid of people who didn't belong. Police forces need to do the same thing. And I'll say that my demographic, white men, need to do the same thing. And I'm calling on them to do exactly that. If you see this kind of thing going on, it's on you to fix it. Uh, racist white men are cowards. And they're all going to mm. express their racism around other racist white men, or at least around other white men, because they're not mm-hmm. strong enough and not brave enough to walk up, typically, to walk up to a, a Mexican immigrant or an African-American man and say, and speak their racist minds about that. So it, it really is not my group to fix this problem. Mm. I don't think I could have put it any better way than that. <laughs> no. Nope, I don't I think, think so either. Is, I, don't, I don't think racism stops, um, especially not in these times, because the example is set at the top. You know, as long as we have somebody at the top that displays those type of characteristics, what is that doing for the generation coming up? That's what they're saying. <laughs> So, yeah, and this is one of the reasons we see a rise right now. It's not the only reason, but one of the reasons we see a rise is because Trump makes racism okay, at least uh, within his group. So there are some other yeah. specific things that we need to do, right? We need to restore the Voting Rights Act to its full authority so that we can fight back against voter suppression and gerrymandering and effects like that. Uh, but I've been calling for the longest time for treating domestic hate groups like the terrorist groups they are. When we treat when we chase Al-Qaeda and ISIS all around the globe and try to blow them up everywhere we find them, and then we give First Amendment rights to neo-Nazis and the KKK here in the United States, we're institutionalizing racism, and that's not okay. You know, I made a speech uh, back in uh, 2001, right after the World Trade Center bombing, and uh, at one of our banquets, uh, I was uh, president of the NACP at the time, the local uh, branch. And I said it it was was great to be concerned about foreign terrorism, but we have some domestic terrorism that's taking place in the country. And that is is going to be what undo this democracy that we have, that uh, we allow this domestic terrorism uh, to thrive and go on. And as you said, many folks have felt emboldened since the election of Trump. Uh, and, and Trump basically, I, I, I don't know, well, there's, there was early talk about that he had more of a liberal leanings, but then you check out the family history, there were some race issues going on for quite some time. And there was a lot of people because it seems now that in order to come out of a, a Republican primary, you have to go further and further to the right. That if you are a moderate, you cannot survive. Now, I don't know how that's shaping up with the progressives in the Democrat Party and the moderates. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but I guess we will see as time goes on. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I've, I've tried to tell my fellow Democrats, the Republicans can, can do all that. You know, they, they can pursue that path if they want. They can do their war on women. They can, they can discriminate against minorities, et cetera. This party 
will not do that. I will fight tooth and nail to make sure that this party does not do that because minority groups and women and, and all the rest deserve a party that welcomes them, that protects them, and I want the Democratic Party to be that party. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So another another issue that we have that's a big issue in this country is health care. Um, you know, Obama, he rolled out the Affordable Care Act, which I thought was a very positive thing because anytime you can give people health insurance who didn't have health insurance, <clears throat> that's a positive in my book. Um, but oh, yeah. as you know, nothing is, nothing is perfect when it first comes out. I feel like Republicans have done everything in their power to make it even worse. Um, so in regards to the current health care system, do you have a plan to, to fix what's currently going on, or is there – is there something um, different that you want to see to make health care better in America? Well, let me start by saying you're absolutely right. You know, we, we provide health care for 20 million new Americans, 700,000 here in Pennsylvania just by Medicaid expansion. And that's not just good for the people who get that care. It's good for everyone because it increases the demand for health care, and that means more clinics, more hospital beds, more hospitals. It means more jobs for doctors and nurses and technicians. That means more care available for people who have had uh, health insurance and access to health care for all of their lives. It's better for everyone when we have more of that service available. A, a few years ago, it might be four or five years ago now, I was reading an article about healthcare systems around the world, and the number one system at the time was the system in France. And France has continued to be like number one or two in most of these surveys. There are different ways to measure quality of health care, but France gets really, really great returns for, for low expenditure. And they described in some detail the system in France, and I was reading it and thinking, this is identical to our education system here in the United States. France provides public health care for everyone, and they have a private system for the wealthy or for people with special needs, a system that can do some things that the public care system cannot do. And based on that, I thought that that would be the right approach for, for the United States, number one, because it's the best performing system in the world. But number two, since it represents and resembles our, our education system, it would be understandable and comfortable for voters as they're trying to imagine how this system would work. I don't think people understand exactly how Medicare for all is going to work, and I am not in favor of getting rid of a private system that could create uh, methodologies or, or do other research that could benefit the public system down the road. So that's what I'm, my target goal is a public private healthcare system, public healthcare for everyone, a private system operating alongside it. Uh, but we need to move there in a deliberate and, and careful way. If you've probably seen the uh, studies that indicate that uh, Medicare for all might cost the uh, Americans about $32 trillion over a decade compared to $49 trillion over a decade with the system we have right now. If we could flip the switch and move from what we have today to Medicare for all, that's a loss of $1.7 trillion in economic activity every year, which would be an economic depression that would hurt the very people we're trying to help by giving them access to health care through a public system. So I'm calling for four steps that move us deliberately towards that public-private system without being so rushed and so hurried that we make mistakes and end up hurting the very people that we're trying to help. So those four steps mm. are first, add a public option 
to the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act exchanges. And, and let me, if you'll indulge me, let me pause just for a minute and ask that you call it the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Republicans call it Obamacare when they want to remind their, their voters that there used to be a black man in the White House. Yeah, and they call yeah. it the Affordable Care Act when they want to remind people that health care isn't free, despite the fact they have no plans to make health care free or even cheaper than it is. So as right. a public option, the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, lower the Medicare age from 65 to 62, doing that one year at a time over the course of three years, and then pause and measure the effects of that, see if that's working for us or if it's creating unintended consequences, et cetera. Raise the Medicaid threshold from 138% of poverty to 150% of poverty, that's four percentage points each year over the course of three years, pause, measure the consequences, see if, we're, if this is working for us or if it's creating problems that we didn't anticipate. And then fourth, fully resource the veteran affairs healthcare system so we're not having issues of wait times or, or inappropriate care or inadequate care. And when we've done that, study whether we can provide first responders care through the VA system. There are communities all across the United States. In fact, uh, I spent a lot of time in Plymouth across the river from, uh, from where you are, Ronald, uh, going through this issue of trying to pay for police departments and fire departments, and the biggest burden for them is the health care costs associated with those things. If we can lift that cost off of communities and bring that up to the federal level, then that would be a, a boon for communities all across the country, whether they're uh, whether it's communities in a you know, densely populated inner city or a sparsely populated rural county, it would still be a benefit for, for everyone. Right. I guess I wonder why yeah. Democrats can't, you know, why, why Democrats can't explain it that way. It's always about just throw out a catchphrase and to see if people catch on, but when you don't explain it, I think it gives a, um, a chance for the Republicans to paint your own narrative uh, for people. Yep. So yep. I appreciate the way that you broke it down. I think that um, health care is a really big issue, and uh, we need to do something so we can make sure people are healthy in this country. Yeah. And, I, I, and I, did, I know, too, I with, from what you just said, excuse me, from what you just said, that uh, the, the, it's the health benefits uh, in the union contracts that are the most costly. Uh, uh, I've seen it firsthand. I've worked with, uh, I was on the transition team uh, for the mayor that was elected back in 2015. And uh, I got to see some of that firsthand that their most expensive uh, cost uh, in operating the city is the health benefits that come with uh, negotiating uh, these uh, union contracts. And, uh, and I'm not, and I'm not discouraging uh, the unions uh, being part of a union because uh, my father-in-law was a union uh, representative. I worked, uh, at, I was uh, part of the union at Social Security, so I know the value of the union in helping to bring about the middle class. So, yeah, 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 it's, it's absolutely essential. And, and again, we've we've allowed both education and healthcare to become barriers to moving up the economic ladder instead of aids to moving up the economic ladder. And that just it doesn't just hurt the workers who are trying to move up the ladder. It hurts our economy and it hurts the entire country. Mm-hmm. Right. And Ron, right. to your point, um, you're, you're right that one of the reasons I'm still in this race, although there are 24 or 25 
television, you know, national stature, uh, Democrats running for this race, is because, like you, I'm frustrated that they don't explain these things, and they don't. I, I some I, I love them all. They're they're all great in their own way. I haven't seen a Democratic candidate yet that I'm convinced will fight for these issues with as much determination as as I expect myself to fight. Mm. I, I mean, I gotta agree. I mean, I think I think I'm still trying to. I don't know. I think with me, authenticity plays a big part in a person who I want to support. And I find myself struggling sometimes whether they're just telling me what I want to hear to get my vote or if they truly mean what, what they say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think well, that's something so, that they need to, to do a better job of focusing it on. So I, I tell people that I'm, I'm competing with these men and women for the Democratic nomination, but I'm not competing with them for elite donors or elite endorsements. We have an all-volunteer team. It's a very small team. Uh, I drive around the country talking to voters rather than sitting on the phone and dialing for dollars and, and hiring professional staff. So they're all running, all the other candidates, or at least the A-list candidates, are running generally along the same path. They're going to compete along that path. I'm on a totally different road headed for the same goal, um, but we're going to get there. We're going to keep working at it because it, I am an honest guy. I, I, I am sincere. Uh, these things really do bother me, and uh, so I've spent my whole adult life studying them so that we can bring good solutions to the table. We're going to do everything we can to fix these things. Now, I was going to ask you, uh, did you attend Jim Claiborne's uh, fish fry in South Carolina? <laughs> yes and no, Ronald. Yes and no. <laughs> so, um, so the reason I was in North Carolina, South Carolina, this past uh, Thursday through yesterday uh, was because of the Jim Clyburn fish fry. And I spent a week before the fish fry writing and writing to his campaign committee that organized the event, pleading with them to let me in as a candidate, and uh, I, I got no response at all from them. But okay. I'm not easily dissuaded, so I, I went down there. I spent uh, Thursday night in Greensboro, Friday night. I was in Columbia for the fish fry, and then Saturday night I was Winston-Salem for a Juneteenth event and then drove back yesterday. Um, so I couldn't get in to as a presidential candidate to the fish fry. I read the rules, and uh, one of the things that, that stood out to me was it said, you can't distribute unauthorized pamphlets and flyers in the fish fry, and I was pretty sure that my flyers would be unauthorized. Right, so right, I spent yeah. – I spent a few hours outside talking to voters. Uh, I have an impeachment letter, and I have a two-sided flyer listing the the four threats and some other issues, including education, health care, et cetera. And and I handed those and stickers and buttons out to to voters for for a couple hours, actually, and talked to people about issues, um, had some arguments with people about whether it's smart or not to impeach Donald Trump, and uh, really had a great time. It was – the the crowd waiting in long lines. People waited two hours to get inside. The crowd waiting in long mm-hmm. lines agreed with me that it was um, by Columbia, South Carolina standards, moderately humid, moderately steamy down there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it it was a good time. It was a good time. I was happy to talk you to know, those folks. I, it, 
and the the English candidates got like ninety seconds to talk, and then they right. just wandered around inside talking to people too. So I don't think they accomplished much more than I did. Yeah, I, the the thing oh. is, um, I I can I I can understand them putting some type of limitations because here, the, the only reason I understand that is to hear, here's, the, here's the situation. Okay, so I'm currently uh, the president of the local branch of the NAACP. So I want to invite all of these presidential candidates. Now, if I go by this list that's up on the Politics One, I mean, it's like, it must be like hundreds and hundreds of them. And, yeah, there's and at least then, a couple hundred Democrats registered with the FEC at this point. Okay, so then you got the same, even though there's just Bill 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 Will on the uh, on the Republican side. Uh, mm-hmm. You just got him and Trump, but like you said, there's this 20 plus Democrat. And then on top of it, uh, I, have have you heard that Joe Sistak has jumped into the race as well? I sure did. Of course, I've seen Facebook posts today from Penn Live and Politics PA announcing his, his candidacy, to which I responded, you know, there's actually someone from Pennsylvania running for president. We'll see where that goes. One other question that I have is that I've been curious ever since the uh, 2000 election with Al Gore and George Bush and, mm-hmm. uh, and where he won the popular vote, but Bush won the electoral college, but Florida was the hanging chads uh, fiasco. So yep. ever since then, I said, I want to understand what the, what in the world's this electoral college? So I, I started reading, reading, adamantly reading about it, and mm-hmm. now you have, you have. I think of, uh, I don't. I, did did Carrie lose? Did Carrie win the popular vote? Um, no, Carrie's Carrie's the only Democrat in in recent times who did not win the uh, the popular vote. Okay, so Hillary won the popular vote. And uh, so here's my thing. Here's my here's my question. I have instructed the political action chair of our branch to put together a debate on the electoral college versus the popular vote. What is your feelings about that? Well, you know, it, it's hard to ever find an issue that I'm conservative on, but changing the Constitution might be one of those. You know, I, I tell people I don't really like change. You've got to prove to me that it's an improvement so that I know that the cost of the change is going to be worth the uh, worth uh, paying. I, it, we didn't know each other at the time, but in late 2016, I was on Facebook pleading with the Electoral College to do its job, which is to pick the best candidate for president and the electoral college failed to do its job instead it reflected just the voting outcome for each of the states it just endorsed the outcome that right, came from right. that. that that's not actually no the, the 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 function is we elect those electors and they use their superior 
knowledge and experience and, and a little extra time as well to to pick the president. And, and you know, late August, early September of 2016, I was already telling people, please vote for the American woman, not for the Russians, because we already knew enough at that point to know that you were involved with that. But there's one more failsafe after that, right? There's one right. more failsafe. After the Electoral College, no election is final until the House of Representatives certifies it, and they certify it That's correct. as well. And right. so I was, once again, pleading in January of, of 2017, please do the right thing and vote for Clinton, not for Trump. You'll save our nation a whole bunch of heartache and sin. But they also but, failed to do the right thing. And so here we are with a treasonous U.S. president who will not stop Putin and Russia from helping him get elected, in, reelected in 2020. Mm, mm. But uh, here's the thing. Here's, here's the problem that I have uh, with not, uh, with not uh, going to the popular vote. And that is, okay, we, we go around the world uh, telling people uh, uh, one vote, one person, one vote, you know. Yeah. But, but yet we don't, we don't do it here at home. And I understand the founding fathers, like you just mentioned about you have these electors with the experience. And those people at that particular time when they drafted the electoral college, they're the ones that did all the traveling around. So, and they were saying that uh, most uh, people will vote for the person from their state uh, if they are running for president, you know. Right. And so that's why you needed these electors that had the experience and all that kind of stuff uh, to form the electoral college. But I think though, with 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 the advent of the television and social media, I think I think there's a more informed electorate than there was back in the early uh, 1700s. I, I want to endorse that. I want to I want to agree with you. I want to believe it. But uh, I, in my mind, inescapably, is that Harris poll from October of 2004 with 54% of eligible voters believing that Saddam Hussein was involved in the 9-11 attacks. And that mm. was a terrorism election that year. And they voted, the majority of, of likely voters voted with bad information in their head. And that was another opportunity. It didn't happen. It didn't have to happen. But it was another opportunity where the Electoral College could have said, hey, you know what? <laughs> the, the voters were misled. And, and right. we shouldn't suffer right. the consequences of them being misled yeah. Yeah. this way. Mm-hmm. So, so it yeah. kind of goes, it kind of goes both ways. And usually, it's not an issue, but uh, we've had a couple instances here recently where uh, you and I hate the results, um, and I don't, I, I don't have a good response for that, a good solution for that. Yeah. Hmm. Oh man! Some, well, some, some of these problems we're going to live with because we just can't fix them, unfortunately. But right. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to make that list real small. Mm. Yeah. So, with with a lar- such a large um, list of Democrats running to try to be president, do you think that this is something that's you think it's a positive thing, or do you think this is a negative thing? 
I, I think it's a positive. You know, there, like, like we said, there are a couple hundred registered on the FTC website. Um, I think some of them probably are just registered so they could say that they ran for president and they're not even leaving mm-hmm. their house. You know, I've been traveling mm-hmm. all around the country yeah. working on this, and I'm probably outside of the A-list candidates, I might be like the only or one of the very few people who are doing that. Um, you know, Ron, I, I tell people that every night we sit down at home, most of us, and we choose a television show to watch in the evening out of hundreds of channels. And if we work a little bit at this, and of course it's not going to be all Democrats. A lot of Democrats are really going to ignore the whole process. But the Democrats who are, are watching can see what's going on with these candidates and, and can make solid votes. I, I, I do have this advice for people, though. Given, given the DNC's process for getting candidates on the debate stage, if you see five or even ten candidates that you like, send them all a dollar so you can help them get on the debate stage and stay in the race. Years and years ago, I thought Bill Richardson was my candidate. I went all in on Bill Richardson, and the next week he dropped out of the race. and I had to start the whole process all over again. So I'm, right. I'm, I'm willing to consider myself and about five other candidates who are running right now. And, and keep them on that short list until until you know they're all gone. Well, you know when I uh, when a, when Obama ran and he actually won the uh, the presidency, what mm-hmm. what Obama did for many uh, people of color was fulfill one of Dr. King's dreams that sure. it made it it made it made every child feel that they can, if they put in the work and put in the effort, that they too can become president. And I see where everyone, like you said, this list of people, and some people just just filed a report just to say that they ran. But uh, what what Trump has done, he's made it so that anybody can say that they can run, anyone can really run for president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Irrespective of qualifications or anything like that. Exactly. And I feel, I feel, I feel you do need certain qualifications. But even if I did not have the qualification, if I even had, well, if I had the 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 uh, the the uh, motivation that you have to actually put your head in the ring, if I didn't have all the qualifications, I would definitely. Be attentive in trying. I always believe in whatever job that I'm doing, you try to do it to the best of your ability. And you surround yourself. Now, this might be kind of hard because everybody's going to be talking in your ear and everything like that. So you're going to be the one to make that final decision. But hopefully, you will surround you will surround yourself with people that will make these. Uh, these good recommendations to you because now they got a report out about this whole vetting process. Uh, have you heard that? I have. I have. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Christie is kind of a gift that keeps on giving sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah Bridgegate. It's, it's remarkable, right? I mean, they've 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 got they've got a list. They've they've, they've got all the negative information on these on these uh, potential nominees and uh, ten, potential appointees, the, the information is horrible. And so they threw the information away and, and put them through the process without, without the vetting. I mean, that's, 
it's it's worse than not vetting because you know they're bad and you just put them up anyways. Mm-hmm. Oh. Now you're you're absolutely right, Ronald. It, I'll tell you, they're they're. I've studied leadership management for all my Air Force time and a little bit after, and the Air, Fo- the Air Force made me do it for starters, but I, I enjoyed that as well. It made me successful. But there are a few lessons that I've learned there. You know, number one, for the people who are working for me, I, I owe them two things. One, give them the resources they need to get the mission done, including understanding what the mission is. And number two, get the obstacles out of their way so that they can have success, so they can achieve their that mission. Um, the Air Force core values of integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all we do really motivates me. And one of the key traits of being a successful leader and accomplishing what you want to accomplish is to prioritize your efforts and to stick to your priorities. And that's why I've got those four threats there of the treasonous U.S. president and climate change and rising personal and institutional racism and dangerously high levels of income inequality so that I stick to those threats. Now, of course, if I'm in the White House, we no longer have to worry about impeaching a treasonous U.S. president. We can turn immediately to climate change and to racism and income inequality and work on those deliberately and aggressively. Uh, and we're not going to solve all the problems this country faces by dealing with those three categories. But I'll tell you, we're going to fix the important things, and life's going to get a lot better for a lot of people through that process. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, Alan, you know, I, I definitely appreciate you taking some time and um, kind of sharing your story with us. I think you got some excellent ideas, and um, you seem like you got a, a good head on your shoulders. And I wish you luck moving forward. Um, Pop, did you have any more questions that you wanted to ask? Yeah, or? I just hope that you uh, break break away and manage uh, to get on that debate stage and get some uh, some television time. Uh, because yeah. some of the things that you said are spot on. And uh, I have one final question is that uh, sure. why, why, do you, why do you feel Speaker Pelosi is taking such a cautious approach to this impeachment thing? Ronald, I, 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 I think she's getting bad advice, honestly. I really think she's getting bad advice. I'll, I'll tell you that on the, on the congressional campaign trail, People ask me all the time because Democrats were upset with Speaker Pelosi. And I said, look, when you show me a Democrat in the House who is a better speaker, then I'll vote for that person as speaker. Otherwise, until then, I'm I'm going to stick with Pelosi. And she has been very strong right up to this point right here. And I I don't know if she feels sympathy for the president or if she's just getting bad advice. I wrote a very lengthy 950-word essay, actually, on a, a campaign Facebook post explaining that impeachment, besides being right for the country, right for saving the nation and saving our democracy and protecting it from this would-be authoritarian, um, there is only political upside for Democrats in pursuing impeachment and only political mm-hmm. downside for Republicans, especially in the Senate, um, if we pursue this as well. The Republicans in the Senate don't want to choose – between their treasonous U.S. president and Putin on one side yeah. and their country on the other. And we need to make yeah. them cast those votes. And the only way we can do yes. that is pass articles of impeachment out of the House, including one on treason. And the I thing agree. I is, think that, so, wait, Ron. I think they get caught up in um, maybe what happened during the Clinton years. They're trying to compare the That's two. What I was These are two say. completely different situations. Yeah. There's no way you can compare these two situations. That was a man's personal issue that he lied about compared to a man lying about 
possible treasonous activities with the foreign country. So I don't know yeah, how you about keeping Russia out of our elections, which is something that Donald Trump yeah. refuses to do. If you want to make a comparison to any past impeachment, Nixon's a better choice. But the White House changed hands after both of those impeachments. So right, you're right, and the thing that what you're saying about Nixon, Nixon is the template that. Uh, we should be uh, we should be basing the whole thing of impeachment on, but because uh, Trump is Nixon on steroids. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I'll, so, I'll tell you this: if I, if I can close with just one thing, I know we're probably exceeding our time limit here, but um, we're, we're going to have a July Fourth celebration at the National Mall in Washington D.C. Donald Trump and some of his Mm -hmm. fascist supporters are going to do their thing down at the Lincoln Memorial. This is set up to be a great moment for Americans to show up with signs like mine that says impeach Trump on one side and free those kids on the other. Get down there, shout, chant, march, wave your sign. As long as your sign's not on a stick, you can take it into the national park uh, protected areas, the fenced in areas. You can take them up and down the Mm -hmm. public street. Get down there, make Trump and his supporters see that we will not surrender our democracy to him. That's great. Great advice. Great advice. Now, before we let you go, now, if people want to, to learn more about you or they want to reach out to you, what are, what are some ways they can get in touch with you? Well, they can find me on social media. At, mm-hmm. It's at HowDefendsUSA. They can email me at AllenHow2020 at gmail.com. That's A-L-A-N-H-O-W-E-2020 at gmail.com. And our website, there are four addresses that will take you there. Any of these addresses will work. How2020.com or .org or howdefenseamerica.com or .org. Cool, cool. Well, once again, uh, we definitely appreciate you, you know, giving us an opportunity to to ask you some questions and speak with us. Um, You know, feel free Anytime you want to, to call in and join the conversation. You know, you're definitely a friend of the show at this point, okay? All right. I, um, Thank I you very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. You have a good day, and good luck moving forward, man. All right. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. Yeah, so that was a good conversation, man. I like, um, oh, I think I like a lot of Yeah, it was definitely good. Yeah, I like a lot of this. I think if, in fact, he was to have some of the other name recognition as some of the other candidates, right? Um, he he may be able to bring people in. I think he has a lot of good ideas. I like the way that he breaks them down so you can understand. Um, he goes into depth about you know the ideas that he has, and he seems like he has a good head on his shoulders, and he genuinely wants to see the country in a better position. So, right, right. Um, that was. That was definitely a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I think we got a lot out of it, and I hope uh, that we will get a, a lot of uh, listeners uh, uh, to the archive uh, because I think they will take a lot away from it, uh, as I'm yeah. quite sure we did. And there was more questions that I had, but I know I had I had told him that we were going to do like 45 minutes and as 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 he indicated, we we went over that, but we it was good. It was all good. Yeah, yeah. I think what it does for me too is that it um or if anybody else is listening at this point, 
is that you don't have to focus solely on the people who are in the spotlight. You know, you may have somebody locally who's just as qualified that has an amazing story that can do some positive things for the country. So you should pay attention to um, what everybody is saying. Give everybody a chance to to kind of present their ideas to you. I think that um, this is is excellent. Yeah, you got to hear them in order to know how you feel about what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, um, I don't know, I think maybe this election, you get somebody who's not that popular that can make a run on the Democratic side. If they if they can explain their position well enough, if they have excellent ideas, if they're relatable, people feel they can relate to them, um, it doesn't seem as if they're disingenuous, they may you, have a chance. You know what I see, Ron? Of all the candidates that are running, it seems from what I'm seeing, it's candidates that have, you got to have name recognition. Right. To break to right. break into that top tier. You got to <clears throat> have name recognition. If you look at a lot of the candidates that are running, they're either uh, <clears throat> Or uh, they they held congressional seat, they held senate seat, they held governorships, uh, some or they held mayoral, uh, mayoral, yeah. you know, mayorships and stuff like that. So there's it seems that everyone that's running has that type of uh, exposure, and so they get listed. You have pictures if you go to this website uh, that I was looking at. Uh, their pictures are actually on uh, this thing called uh, politics. It's called uh, www.politics1.com. And you look under the presidential candidates, and you, if you the, all the candidates with pictures are the top, are the top that are running. Like the Joe Seth right. that even his pictures now in there, you know? Yeah. 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 It was a good. It was a good conversation. I thought it was a pretty good interview. Yeah, it was a. It was an excellent interview. I think that once again, I, I don't know. I keep harping on the same thing, but I just like the way that he presented his ideas for the country moving forward. Like it's, I, I feel like it's it's the way that he speaks is a way that everybody can relate to it. So, I wish him luck, man. I, I think if he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't you asked some really good questions. Are very timely questions, and when you came up about comparison to Clinton, uh, that was one that I wanted to get in there, but you got it in, so I, you, yeah. you were spot on. Yeah, I just think that um, I think Pennsylvania should hear him out. Like, even if he wasn't to win the presidency, you know, who's to say that he's not a candidate for the Senate or uh, the House of Representatives or something like that? I think that. He can do a good job for Pennsylvania if, in fact, that was the case. Um, but this is, this is I, I like to, the good thing for us is that we've never had a candidate on the show to actually talk about, you know, things going on in the country. You know what I mean? So I think when we talk right. to people like this, it's more, it's not just informative to the people that listen to us, but it's informative to us also because. You know, he's he's more aware of the the ins and outs of government. You know what I mean? 
And yeah, I think that you yeah. can you can kind of get a you can get a sense from it in the way that he answered the questions that we have for him. And we didn't try to beat him up. These are like honest questions. These are questions that I think every American will want to know. You know, I mean, when we came to health care, education, uh, the reparations issue, we got into everything. And yeah. he didn't seem hesitant to discuss and the thing not is, one thing. If you notice, we didn't, we didn't do our usual uh what Trump is doing today thing. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. I mean, he brought, he, he introduced that. He, he stated why he felt he needed to run because he sees, he sees where if we don't put some type of check. And even he said, like he, he really supports Nancy, but he can't even figure out he said he he did say though he believes she's getting bad advice, and I yeah. think many of us feel that way. Yeah, I don't think you can argue with Nancy's track record. I just think in this particular moment she's not doing she's not doing her best. I think, like you said, he's right. She's either getting bad and, advice, and yeah, yeah, you know, or I, I don't know what else it can be. But you know, it's at the point now where I don't know how much evidence you need. At this point, I mean, the man. Well, I think they need lies. to start the hearings. Yeah. yeah, I think they need to start the hearings because starting the hearings, I think, more make makes more resources available to them uh, by not yeah. initiating an angle in the hearing. They don't have uh, those resources. Well, I, I know what she in it that because definitely we don't see enough Republicans coming over to impeach him. So he's going to take right. that not being impeached is that he is he is exonerated from all, all the crimes that you know that the Democrats raised that he had committed. So. One of the things I believe she's trying to avoid giving him that talking point, but uh, I think you got to do what's right, do, do what the Constitution constitutionally allows you to do, and not and not have to worry about. Uh, you should be able to if you present your case, like like when when Nixon they said Nixon had a favorable rating. But, but by the yeah. time they got through the hearings, that rating, his ratings had changed. Well, yeah, not, not just Trump himself. You know, Republicans, they love a good catchphrase or a talking point. If he were to not get impeached, yeah, well, they, that's, that's just something they can use during sure. the next election. All of the Democrats, they didn't really have the case. They, that's why they were dragging their feet, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, and they all stay on the same message. So at this point, the Democrats just need to decide what they really want to do. Do they want to sit there and think about the negatives that could possibly happen in the future, or do you want to do what's best for the country at the time? And that's why I get frustrated, because we put you guys I, the in, way I in the feel, House to do what's best for the country. That's right. I feel if you have to die on, then this is the hill you choose, because it can only... If, if you don't 
do this. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't show your base that you've exhausted all avenues, presented the case, and the Republicans did not uh, hope. Your, your, well, our hope is that not only will Trump pay for it during the 2020 election, but the Republicans will pay for it because it's just, it's just, it's. I mean, it's so blatant. I, I, I don't see how you can. I, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I well, I get it, but I don't get it. Put it that way. Well, I mean, Alan mentioned it. He was like, you know, it's really, it's probably no chance that the impeachment will go through, especially with the way the Senate is. He said, but what you do is, right. you get those, you get those votes on record. You let them sit there and stand behind a man that basically right. told Russia to come in and to interfere with the election. All the other things that he's done, you you by you saying no, you're saying that you're okay with all those actions, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So how do you how do you explain that moving forward? By by us not moving forward with this these impeachment hearings, you're giving the Republicans an out, and they don't deserve mm-hmm. the out at this point. They turned the back on the country, what? and they deserve to pay for it. Now. The sad part about it, they know, they know, the Democrats if in the same position, would not do the same thing. They know that. Of course not. Yeah. They know that. Of course not. Yeah, the, the Republicans would have hopped on impeachment immediately. Yep. Immediately. And especially because yep. if it was Obama, you know, if it was Obama, it would have been the next day. And I would, I would attribute that to him being a black right. man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You know what I mean? So exactly. they, they can't sit there and act as if you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, well, we would we would do the same thing. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You would mm-hmm. rush through with impeachment. I mean, you impeach Bill Clinton because he had an affair. He lied about an affair he had on his wife. That has nothing to do with. That's not the public's business. You know what I mean? Lindsey Graham stood right. here and gave all these speeches about the integrity of the office if we don't move on forward with impeachment. But then this man sits here and mm-hmm. cuddles up to Russia. Continues to do it, and you just turn a blind eye and say, "Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's case over for me now." What? I don't know, but um, it just is what it is at this point. The Democrats got to decide what they want to do because at the end of the day, they keep messing around. We're gonna be stuck in the same position for the next four years, and that's that's not good for anybody. What's gonna happen if they mess around? And this thing gets reelected. It's just going to embolden that, that much more and embolden the Republicans that much more. That's what's going to happen. Hey, I'm not worried about emboldening the Republicans because they they just you know they they've already rolled over. But um, my thing is this: it emboldens mm-hmm. all these. Domestic terrorists that we got in this country yep. If he gets reelected again for another yep, Four yep. years And I'm going to tell yep. you right now I'm not so much worried about yep. what they do I'm worried that It's a different time And people ain't going to sit there and lie down And take it anymore They're going to stand up and defend themselves yep. And we can push ourselves to possibly another civil war In this country And I don't want to see anybody die over that mm-hmm. I don't want to see my kids go through that I'm not trying to die because I'm a, I'm a, if I got to, I'm going to defend my children and my family. It's simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, man. But, um, 
We gotta do something. We got we gotta do something, man. We we gotta we gotta we gotta pay attention to the right. things that are going on. I encourage everybody to sit there. Don't don't just listen to like what you see on TV. I mean, I, I watch CNN. I watch the MSNBCs. I don't watch no Fox News. But at the same time, I don't take mm-hmm. any of those as gospel. I do my own research. You know, I find the truth for myself. Right. That's what we all got to do at this point. You can't rely mm-hmm. on anything now, especially with you know all the manipulation going on with social media and stuff like that. You don't know what to believe. But you know what? No. But you know what? That's the problem. We are a lot of us, not all of us, but we are. There's a lot of us that are politically lazy, uh, yep. politically non-interested. We don't the yeah. the one the one uh the one the one quote zingers stuff like that so we don't have right. the the curiosity uh to research for ourselves you know but like yeah. our homework here uh in uh doing our preliminary interview uh preliminary research uh getting ready for this interview and everything it yeah. was through the redistricting that they that he lost the tenth district, which was originally yep. the eleventh district, which remained a part of the district. So now you know. I think he said they split it into like what five different, no, ten different. I don't know, ten different voting, but I don't know, man. It's just crazy how they can do that and get away with it. Yeah, it's the way they, they the way they did it. Like I think he said they had done all the work when they switched over to the, yeah. the tenth district. Then that kind of put them behind the ball a little bit. Well, we probably get into that the next show. You know, I appreciate everybody tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. And with that, we out of here, man. <laughs>